Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Trina Sideros, and I'm a management consultant at PwC working with pharmaceutical companies on vaccines, mRNA, and other drug products. I also lead our Health Research Institute, also known as HRI. And I am Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. And Trina and I have two great guests today, Namit Mehta, who's a partner with Strategy End, working across the entire value stream from innovation to dispensing, and Rohit Harvey, who's a senior director in Pharma Life Sciences Operations with Strategy End. We also have a very exciting topic right on the cutting edge of innovation in healthcare. Today, we're talking about cell and gene therapies with Namit and Rohit. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. We look forward to the discussion. Thank you, guys. Great. Well, back in 2019, so this was a few months before we all focused our attention on COVID, HRI, our Health Research Institute, published a paper on cell and gene therapy called Beyond the Hype, Gene Therapies Require Advanced Capabilities to Succeed After Approval. And the gist of this paper was that the FDA review is not the finish line and that after that approval, there's a lot that still has to be thought about and a lot of very complex things. And so we pointed out the logistics of getting products to patients, basically, that there's still a need to modify cells and viruses with novel technologies and specialized staff, that then companies will need to be able to distribute these highly sensitive treatments while keeping patients informed about where they are in the process. So it's a highly unique process, not like just going to the pharmacy and getting a bunch of pills. This is a much more complicated process. And those companies will need to be able to satisfy payers and providers with novel payment and support models to ensure that the therapies are viewed as good science and really just worth the money. So we wrote this back in 2019, and I was looking at it today, and I think that this paper is as relevant today as it was then. And so I'm really excited to talk to you two about that because it remains a complicated issue and also a really exciting area of therapy. Well, since 2019, Namit and Rohit have been working on unlocking the full potential of cell and gene therapies and seeing what they're capable of and bringing them to life and figuring out how to operationalize them. So maybe that's where we start. And so maybe with you, Namit, you work across a number of really interesting topics in healthcare. So why cell and gene therapies today? Why did you pick this one as the topic for us to focus on? What's special about it? Igor and Trina, again, this is very fascinating for me. And thanks for having me again on the podcast. I've really enjoyed the first one and I hope there are many more to come. To answer your question, Igor, you need to think about cell and gene therapy from two aspects. One is from the patient point of view and the second one is from the pharma and biotech company's point of view. And if you look from a patient point of view, it is addressing a significant unmet need for the different patients, right? This is developing treatments for rare diseases, which is almost life and death situation for the patients. A lot of rare diseases which are out there, we still don't have novel technologies and solutions to actually cure them or treat them. And also looking at children, if you look at the pediatric population, there are lifelong debilitating conditions which can be cured at the early stages. They can have a very healthy life. So it's a very, very promising area working on cell and gene therapy. I think the other point is around the efficacy potential. We are now at the forefront of science where we are able to create personalized medicines tailored to each individual patient. 
which will have great potency and less side effects. It's almost going through your DNA and understanding how your DNA is and what is the right treatment for you. So this will cure treatments in these life and death situations from a patient point of view. These technologies provide commercial opportunities which are significantly strong growth potential in the next five years. They are creating a new paradigm and gateway of you know new possibilities, getting into organ printing and tissue engineering and life extensions, which we had not thought through. We only thought through about you know, replacements, but this is about re-engineering the science itself and the genes itself. So with the new technology innovations, this is all getting possible. We are now coming with technologies which can do gene editing. We're coming with technologies which can do DNA and RNA gene delivery capabilities in our body. All this put together, this is a significant opportunity to bring the unmet need through all these different opportunities which the pharma and biotech companies are coming together with. And the front runners will be potentially the market leaders. That's the opportunity out there. So with all this potential and this incredible possibility of treating diseases that have been difficult to treat previously and doing all of these different things, what's the main barrier to getting this going, to scaling up, to operationalizing? Because that's obviously part of the challenge. Scaling and launching new products in CGT space is very complex. The cell and gene therapy developers have put in tons of efforts in operationalizing CGT processes, but they're still in early stages. Think about where the monoclonal antibodies were in the 90s. We had similar teething pains as any new technology. The CGT operating model are simply the processes, the systems, the capabilities, the people, is also remarkably different from the traditional pharma or biopharma, mainly because the batch sizes are small, cycle times are long, and value of the material is extremely high. So the four areas that become a challenge as we scale up are, one, access to manufacturing capacity. Two, tons of variability of processes and corresponding methods. Three, quality and safety drivers that impact yields. And finally, like any new technology, it's a dearth of skilled talent. Let's go through each one in detail. Regarding manufacturing capacity, our analysis shows the CGT capacity is expected to grow about 8 to 9x over the next five years. However, only 20% of current GTX capacity needs are met. What makes this worse is more than half of the capacity is not utilized given regulatory delays, deviations, and some ambitious pipeline projections. Greater competition for existing manufacturing capacity also results in higher costs and scarcer supplies of materials such as viral vectors, reagents, filters. And finally, the GTX pipeline comes from emerging biotechs who have lesser experience to achieve scalable manufacturing on their own and target CDMOs. The high batch-to-batch -batch variability is mainly because the processes and methods are operating at a cusp because folks have very little time to optimize those processes and get them to a robust form. Consequently, there are multiple deviations and investigations that happen at your manufacturing site, at the CMOs, and also the viral vector suppliers. Furthermore, the regulatory bodies have increased their expectations and they're looking for long-term patient data. They're also increasing the burden on compatibility if significant process changes are made. Let's talk about quality and safety. First of all, the quality and safety regulations are not yet globally aligned. The manufacturing process 
faces quality challenges across multiple steps. Polishing is the most significant pain point due to loss of yield in purifying empty versus full capsids. And finally, the specific skill sets and knowledge are essential to manufacture and troubleshoot CGT products like in cell line development, media optimization, etc. And finally, the big hairy issues around talent. According to the National Accrediting Agency for Clinical Laboratory Sciences, NAACLS, there's a huge demand supply gap for skilled professionals worldwide. The cell and gene therapy workforce needs increased 28% to 48% between 2020 and 2021. And the hubs for the CGT talent differs widely from a traditional big pharma hubs. Consequently, what the drug developers are doing is they are taking localized strategies and contemplating talent acquisitions in key hubs like the Bay Area, the North Carolina Research Triangle Park, Philadelphia, and Boston. And the CDMOs have tried to search the builder sites closer to their customer base. So a lot of big issues in scale-up, as you can imagine, and this is just the beginning, but a lot of progress has been made. So I now kind of feel like I'm on this emotional roller coaster because Namit got me so excited about the potential of cell and gene therapies and life-saving treatments and rare diseases. And then Rohit, you came in and poured a bunch of cold water on it was all of these challenges around talent and consistency and capacity. So what's next? How do we tackle these challenges? Sorry, Igor, didn't mean to bust your bubble. But kidding aside, it's not all gloom and doom. The CGT industry has been making tremendous progress every year. Let's talk about each bucket one by one. Manufacturing capacity shortfall. We at PwC have found that the classic lean and op excellence tools help improve cycle time, reduce quality defects via standard work, and improve productivity. Moving processing of patient cells and production capabilities to treatment sites reduces cycle time from weeks to days. Additionally, Using some non-viral gene delivery approaches without relying on, say, antivirus can reduce bottlenecks and costs. Some examples are around electroporation, nanoparticles. However, the jury is still out on these technologies. Finally, automation for cell processing and more efficient selection protocols for desired cell types have also helped improving manufacturing capacity. Let's move to high batch-to-batch variability. Establishing closed systems for cell expansion helps reduce contamination and helps reduce variability. Some of the AI tools are out there that help improve scale-up consistency, cell potency, persistence, and homing. New stem cell line banks and infrastructure help maintain pluripotency. So this is cell elasticity. And so what it does is it helps totally control cell differentiation. Let's come to quality and safety management. There are emerging materials out there for cryopreservation and thawing that help improve cell viability and proliferation. Capsid engineering is key to quality control. So reducing the empty capsid load for higher product purity is very important. Talent hub planning. This was a big one. We're still working on it, but for now, the companies are upskilling scientists and engineers with CGT expertise, building schools within the four walls, and training folks on CGT expertise and tribal knowledge. There are also areas where we've seen companies increasing the vendor technical support And there's a lot of training that comes with it, which also gets the talent ready for CGT manufacturing. Some of the companies are using R&D engineers for manufacturing. Usually when there's an investigation or a deviation, the R&D engineers are the first on the line to help out with root cause analysis. 
This also helps train some of the manufacturing folks who don't know the intricacies of the manufacturing technology. Yeah, just one thing to add on this one. I think reimbursement and payment models is still something which needs to be continuously worked upon. How do you basically get into integrated way of tissue sampling, scheduling, invoicing, chain of custody? All that has to be thought through from a data security point of view as well, from a compliance point of view as well. So there is challenges around that and how the payers and providers are actually thinking about getting the solutions to the patients and linking it like what Rohit said, right? Bringing the manufacturing or production of these cells and gene therapies closer to the treatment places will be an opportunity to look for. Nanit, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about these solutions, because like Igor, I think the potential is so exciting, and yet there's so many challenges. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the business decisions that are central to solving these issues and some of the trade-offs that these companies have to think about. If you think about all the different trade-offs, right, I think about first what Rohit mentioned, the manufacturing capacity and the batch variability, right? So we have to address that part. The second one is around talent and the third one is around data security. So let me address each one of them individually, if it's okay. So starting with the manufacturing capacity shortfall, I think this requires more tighter partnerships. What we call the pharma companies and the biotechs, they have to work more closely with the CDMOs who are basically helping them and creating dedicated sites for them or suits, which are almost like, you know, mobile places, locations for them to bring the commercial facilities into some of the locations for treatment. And this will bring reduced cycle times and faster scale up and time to market. If that partnerships can be built up, which is win-win for both the pharma cores and the CDMOs, that would be something to look for. I think working with more collaboration around the 3PLs in terms of third-party logistics, what we call 3PLs, bringing more tools for monitoring and real-time product movement so they actually can have better visibility around these products, especially around the chain of custody and all those things which are required, particularly over here. Partnerships with other overall contract manufacturing organizations, flexible modular workflows, which we just talked about, right? Can we break the manufacturing into things which can be done remote and then the end stage manufacturing can actually be done closer to the delivery centers? That will be also important. In terms of batch variability, I mean, understanding the trade-offs between what are the different approaches of being, you know, centralized in a big, big plant versus decentralized production which is actually decoupled from the main mother plant, that would be important. Other organizations look for developing standard quality processes and protocols for these to apply for blood and tissue collection, for cell processing and logistics. If we can create those protocols, which can be developed and applied homogeneously across all the different companies and parties involved, that will be also important to look for. If you go back to the point about talent, the key thing around talent here is in a kind of investments which will be required to support this, how can we create the hubs and collaborations with the universities to actually bring the talent in the areas where the research is going on, partnering with the universities, partnering with the different manufacturing sites. What I heard, for example, uh, a lot of companies have started to share the research scientists in the same facility. So they're co-locating their operations, R&D operations into similar facilities so they can learn and cross-pollinate from each other. So those are ideas where you start experimenting and sharing ideas with the different people in terms of how you manage the talent pool and then upskill them. 
the last pieces around the whole thing about quality and safety management. I think that's one area we really have to be, you know, much smarter about. There has to be better chain of custody traceability for cell and patient data. I think that's where the trade-off comes down to how we'll be able to manage that. And lastly, I think it goes down to also creating the data standards, which allow us to actually be adopted across the entire health value stream. So that is, I would think, are the various things companies have to think about in terms of trade-offs, which they need to be solving for as we look at scaling cell and gene therapies across the different areas they're working on. That was really fascinating to me. Thank you so much, Namit and Rohit. I I think when I think about these kinds of technologies, that it is something of a sea change in the way that we treat disease and that for hundreds and hundreds of years, we all thought that disease was individual. And this is the Western tradition, individual to each individual person. So it was sort of your own constitution, plus what was going on outside, plus maybe well, how the stars were lining up and, and all of that kind of created disease in your body. And it was individual to you. And then we learned the germ theory of disease. And we learned that that wasn't necessarily true and that we thought disease was sort of a universal across, didn't matter who you were, you'd get COVID if you were exposed to SARS-CoV-2 and that was that. But now I feel like we're sort of blending back to that sort of individual where there is that individual component and that these personalized medicines are sort of a reflection of that. So it's really an exciting time, but I love that you brought to us the practicalities that have to be and all the practical issues that have to be solved in order for this to happen. And they're not small, it's clear to me. So thank you so much for bringing that to us. It was a really fascinating discussion. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Namad and Rohit, for telling us what is next in health. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.